Right now, we're going to turn in our Bibles to read some passages of Scripture that R.T. Kendall is going to preach on in a moment. We begin in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Then over the page into Habakkuk chapter 3, just towards the end of the book, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Then some musical instruction to the choir master with stringed instruments. Now then, on into the New Covenant, New Testament, chapter 11 of John's Gospel. This is just when Lazarus had died. And verse 15, John chapter 11, verse 15, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then finally, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Thank you, Artie. God bless you. Artie, it's so wonderful to have you and Louise back. Your first Sunday preaching. You were here last week, but your first Sunday preaching, and you're here right the way through to the glorious 4th of July. That's right. Wonderful to have you. Thank you. <clears throat> Louise and I still have to pinch ourselves that in our old age, we get to come back to London like this. We can't get over it. This is our third year, and uh, you honor us. And we couldn't wait for this time to come and to be with you and Amanda. So thank you for having us again. Well, welcome home. That's all we can say. Thank you. God bless you. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I now pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to fall on every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received and applied as you intend. 
and cleanse my tongue that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I ask that this will be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Faith is believing God. Faith is relying on the promises of God. Faith is living by the faithfulness of God. As I've been preparing this word, and it's come to me in the last 24 hours, that I believe that there's someone here today that as I speak, you are in the middle of the greatest trial of your life. I don't expect you to identify yourself. That's not the purpose. I just want you to know that you're not here by accident. This is a word for you. Others can eavesdrop. That's all right. But I shall be speaking because I know you're here. You're in the middle of the greatest trial of your whole life. I'm reminded many years ago when I was a senior in high school back in Ashland, Kentucky. I was called out of class, and I was to go to the principal's office. There was a phone call. It was my uncle. And he said, R.T., your mother has just had a stroke, and your dad is on his way to pick you up and take you to the hospital. Oh, is she going to be all right? He said, I think your mother is a very sick woman. Went to the hospital, and there lay my 43-year-old mother, paralyzed, couldn't speak. For the next six weeks, my dad sought high and low over Ashland, Kentucky, for people that would pray for her. She was anointed with oil. One person said, this is their language, that they had prayed through that my mother would be healed. And one day, I never will forget it, my dad came running up the stairs to wake me up to go to school. He said, son, I've got wonderful news. Your mother will be healed. I have touched God today. She will be healed. And the truth is that I felt that God had revealed to me that my mother would be healed. And so I didn't think any more about it. She'd be healed. In those days, uh, I played the oboe in the Ashland High School band. I bet you didn't know I played the oboe. I thought you'd like to know that. (laughs) We were chosen, our band, to to play for the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. Great honor for our little town. And uh, my parents said I should go, even though my mother was ill. So it was an overnight train ride. Arrived at the Union Station in Washington, And I I called my aunt, who lived in Washington. I said, guess who this is? She said, where are you? I said, it's R.T. Where are you? Well, I'm at the Union Station across the street from a restaurant. Don't leave. Your uncle is coming to get you. I said, what are you telling me? 
She said, your mother passed away this morning. I've never got over it. My father was afraid that I would lose my faith. For some reason, I didn't. But it was my first experience to face what many Christians go through when they feel that God has let them down or didn't keep his word. Or to use another phrase, when they feel betrayed by God. In the 20th century, aeronautical science broke the sound barrier. It's when a plane would fly faster than the speed of sound. It was a great accomplishment. But there is an accomplishment I want to introduce you to this morning that's greater than science breaking the sound barrier, and that is when a believer breaks the betrayal barrier. When you hit a wall and feel God has utterly betrayed you, most never break that betrayal barrier. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Few break the betrayal barrier and find out how real God is. Now, in the book of Habakkuk, and uh, you, you should know that I'm pronouncing the name the way they say it in heaven. Uh, Colin, I, I, I've come to help you. Uh, how you come up with your pronunciation, God will forgive you for that. <laughs> Habakkuk had hard questions for God. This is what the whole book of Habakkuk is about. Why does God allow evil? Why does he allow suffering? Let me ask you a question. Why did God create the world knowing all humankind would suffer? Anybody here know the answer? It's the most common question that is ever asked. Why does God allow evil? You're not the first to ask it. And you don't have to be a great intellect to have asked that question. We've all had the question. So Habakkuk wanted to know. And God said, I'm going to tell you. Oh, good, says Habakkuk. I can't wait. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go this place and... Uh, you go to the watch post and station yourself at the tower and, and I'm going to answer your complaint. I'm going to give you a vision and the revelation will be why I allow evil. And so Habakkuk is there. And God says, oh, by the way, um, I need to tell you that the vision awaits its appointed time. In fact, it speaks of the end. End? What do you mean end? The end. Last day. Or as we would say when Jesus comes. The end of the world. The end. That is when God will clear his name. That is when God will announce to the world why he allowed suffering. 
Well, Habakkuk could have said, I don't want to wait to the end. I want to know now. Well, sorry, says Habakkuk. The vision speaks of the end. Uh, it's for an appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it, but it will come. And then he added these words, the righteous will live by his faith. And the, the Hebrew is best understood that the righteous will live by his, capital H-I-S, God's faithfulness. And what will declare you righteous, Habakkuk, if you live by my faithfulness and are willing to wait for the end, for the last day? Well, Habakkuk could have said, I'm sorry, I want to know now. Well, sorry, Habakkuk, it, it waits for the end. For some reason, Habakkuk said, okay. And something happened to him that the same Habakkuk who was complaining now had passed through a phase. In fact, he broke the betrayal barrier. And just before his book ends, he said, and you've got to remember that it was an agrarian society. They didn't have food in their freezers. They didn't have guaranteed income. They lived day by day, needing sun, rain, the crops being there for them to eat. And Habakkuk could say, this is what happened to him. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is exactly what happened to Habakkuk. He broke the betrayal barrier. And I'm here to tell you, not all do it. In fact, few do it. Well, what that means is that you don't give up. That no matter what happens, you say, there's a reason for this. But it's my pastoral experience that people are doing fine as long as they're prospering. As long as the wind is at their back, they get good mail, they're in good health, they've got plenty of money, and they're the ones that say, praise the Lord, glory to God. You know, there's a teaching in this country, it's in America, you've heard of it, many words for it, prosperity gospel, health and wealth. God doesn't ever allow you to be sick. That's your lack of faith. He wants you to prosper. I wrote a book some years ago called Thorn in the Flesh. It was Paul's little nickname for something that happened to him, and he asked God to remove it, and it wouldn't go away, and he kept trying, Lord, please let it go away. And uh, I wrote this book, Thorn in the Flesh. There's a, a man in America, well-known preacher, this is a quotation from him. I'm not making this up. He said, If the Apostle Paul had had my faith, he wouldn't have had the thorn in the flesh. <laughs> you see, that's how low some stoop. 
because they are married to this idea that you must always prosper. The truth is, that is not the case. It is possible that you can be in the perfect will of God and go through unspeakable suffering and trial and heartache. Now, I now want to focus on that one person here. You know who you are. You're going through your greatest trial right now. You've got an opportunity to do what most don't do, and that is to penetrate, break through the betrayal barrier. It is what the people in Hebrews chapter 11 had in common. The 11th chapter of Hebrews. Uh, these were the great people of faith. We call them great because they're told, we're told that about them after it all happened. But at the time, there was nothing great about them that you could see. They had faith. They were ordinary people. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Samuel, they all had in common that at one time in their lives they hit a wall and felt betrayed. Take Abraham. Did you know that God promised Abraham Canaan as an inheritance? He comes to Canaan, and according to Acts chapter 7, verse 5, he did not even get one foot of ground. You think, well, why didn't he give up? Why didn't he stop? Was he crazy? No. <laughs> he just said, the same God that's led me up to now, there's a reason for this. I'm not going to give up. And he broke through the betrayal barrier. And the Bible says the world was not worthy of people like that. But sadly, not everybody's like those in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's the interesting thing. It was a great feat for aeronautical science to break the sound barrier. But there's a greater thing you can do, and that's to break the betrayal barrier. And if you are that one person, you're in the middle of your greatest trial, can you take this? It's a setup. It's God's setup to see whether you will break through the betrayal barrier and then find out how real God is. That's the challenge to you today. Colin read from John chapter 11, verse 15. Let me explain that passage that he read. This is when Jesus said to the 12 disciples, I'm glad that I didn't go there in order that you might believe. Here's what happened. Jesus uh, had a close friend whose name was Lazarus. This may surprise you, but Jesus had his own close friends. Uh, you have friends in the church. We have what we call Christian fellowship. But sometimes you have close friends. Colin and Amanda are close friends. Well, Jesus had a close friend. His name was Lazarus. And he became critically ill. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They sent word to Jesus, who was some distance away, and said, 
Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. He's very sick. Why'd they do that? Well, they just knew that Jesus would stop what he was doing and come straight to Bethany, heal Lazarus, keep him from dying. They knew that he would do that. And you know what? He just stayed where he was. Stayed right there. And the 12 disciples are asking themselves, how come Jesus staying here? You'd think he would go straight to Bethany and keep him from dying. The truth is, Jesus could have done it by remote control. But he just stayed there. And he said, oh, uh, by the way, uh, Lazarus is dead. He's dead, and, and you didn't do anything about it? Mm-hmm. But this is what he said. John eleven fifteen. Try to remember that. John eleven fifteen. among the most profound words in all holy writ. Jesus said, it's for your sake. He's talking to the 12. It's for your sake. Not Lazarus. It's for your sake that I wasn't there, that I let him die, so that you may believe. What did he mean by that? Well, it's in order for you to find out what faith is. I want to teach you faith. Now, I have to tell you, there, there are two kinds of faith in the Bible. One is saving faith. The other is persistent faith. What's the difference? Saving faith. That's what makes you fit for heaven. You that have heard me preach before will not be surprised when I put this question to you. Do you know for sure, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Have you ever heard that question before? If you've never heard that question before, could I repeat it? If you stood before God, it's the real thing. It's a no-joke thing. And it's just you. You won't have your friends. You won't have your parents. You won't have anybody coaching you, whispering to you, here's what you're supposed to say. He's saying, why should I let you in? You've got to come up with the right answer, and there's only one answer. Come, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? You say, well, I've, I've tried to live a good life. I was baptized. I joined the church. I've done my best. I've done this or that. You know, I asked that question almost wherever I go yesterday morning. Uh, TV repairman was in our flat trying to get things sorted out. And, and before he left, I put those questions to him. I said, why do you think God will let you into his heaven? He said, I'm a righteous man. <laughs> and whenever they say that, you got your work cut out for you because they, they honestly think that's what does it. And uh, I don't think that I did get it over to him. That his good works won't save him. I don't think I got it over. I tried. We prayed and let him go. But what would you say? You see, I, I have to tell you that there's only one answer. And that's because God sent his son into the world to die on a cross 
and the blood is shed, satisfied God's justice. And when I transfer the trust that I did have in my good works to what Jesus did for me on the cross, the righteousness of Jesus is put to my credit as though I'm just as righteous as he is. And that is called saving faith. But the other kind of faith is persistent faith. And that's the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11. Those people that did what they did by faith, that's not how they get to heaven. They're on their way to heaven. That, that's a given. They're going to go to heaven. But what they did on the way to heaven. And so I'm addressing you. I would think 99% here, you're on your way to heaven. The question is persistent faith. And that is what you do when you hit a wall and you're not prospering and you are on your back sick and you're asking God to heal you. Well, there are three things that I want to see. I want us to see together before I finish this talk. First, the purpose of faith. What? is the purpose of faith. It is to affirm what God says in His Word without the evidence. Now, to put it another way, generally speaking, there are two kinds of faith when it comes to your worldview. Two kinds of faith. There's the worldly view, what the secular atheist would say, that faith is believing what you see. In other words, seeing is believing. The scientist says, I'll believe it when I see it. And until I see it, I don't believe it. He needs to see in order to believe. And that's the secular view. That's what happened when Jesus was on the cross. Those around the cross, the priests, the soldiers said, Hey, Son of God, up there on the cross, let's see you come down. Come on down. So we can see and believe. In other words, that's their view of faith. That if you see it, you believe it. But that's not the biblical view of faith. The biblical view of faith is Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You say, well, why would anybody ever believe if they don't see it. Well, we believe the Word. Take, for example, God said to Abraham, who was discouraged one night, and he said, Lord, you've given me all this wealth. I don't have anybody to leave it to. I'm 85 years old. My wife is 75. She's not having children. Do I leave all my wealth to Eliezer, my servant? And God said, Abraham, go out and count the stars. So he starts counting them. He says, so will your seed be. There were dozens, thousands. We now know billions. And God said to Abraham, even though he's 85 years old, his wife is 75 years old, so will your seed be. Abraham might have said, do you really expect me to believe that? In the same way Habakkuk, when he's told, you will get the meaning of the problem of evil on the last day. 
Habakkuk could have said, you expect me to wait that long? But he said, I believe you now. I trust you. And though the fig tree doesn't bud, there are no crops, I rejoice. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Same with Abraham. He said, I believe it. And God says, good. For that I count you righteous. And that became the Apostle Paul's Exhibit A for justification by faith alone. So that the moment we give up hope in our good works and trust only the death of Jesus on the cross, God puts righteousness to our credit. All right. The purpose of faith is to affirm God without the evidence. You say, well, then how could anybody do that? What, why would they be so stupid? Well, John Calvin called it the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that enables you when you hear the word, you say, I believe it. The one next to you says, I don't believe it. Sorry you don't because I do. Well, how could you? Oh, I just believe it. It's the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a person a Christian. All right. So, what makes faith faith, listen carefully, is that you believe without seeing. If you saw it and then believe it, you can't call it faith anymore. That's the whole principle of faith. What makes faith faith is you don't see it, but you still believe it. And so Jesus said to the 12 disciples, I'm glad I didn't go heal Lazarus because it's for your sakes. This is what Jesus is saying. Had I healed Lazarus, you wouldn't have learned a, a thing. You wouldn't have learned anything about faith. You would have merely witnessed another healing. But I let him die in order to teach you what faith is. Well, they had no idea why Jesus would do that. Well, Jesus does go to Bethany four days after the funeral. Now comes Martha. Said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. You see, she's blaming Jesus for Lazarus' death. And then comes Mary, sobbing her heart out. Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Blaming Jesus for Lazarus' death. And people continued to blame God. They want to know, how could God allow evil? And so they blamed God for all the troubles of the world. War, poverty, famine, earthquakes... Sickness, disease, accidents, rapists, drug addiction, crime, prostitution, the Adolf Hitlers of this world, losing your job, financial reverse. Well, Habakkuk wanted to know why God allowed these things when it was within God's power to stop it at any moment. But he broke through the betrayal barrier. The purpose of faith, the purpose is to enable you to believe without seeing. Second, the possibility of faith. This is important. 
but you see this. It's when God sets the stage that you now have the possibility of faith. He does you no favor not to give you that possibility. Because the possibility of the faith that God is going to allow you to have and give you is what enables you to break through the betrayal barrier. And it's setting the stage for the possibility of faith by what he lets happen. You see, the possibility of faith emerges when things happen which you don't understand. Instead of complaining, as Habakkuk once did, see this as the possibility of faith. So now to that person, you know who you are, you're in your greatest trial. You're in your greatest trial right now. Has it crossed your mind that this could be God's setup to see how you're going to react? That's exactly what it is. It's a setup. And the reason that Jesus didn't heal Lazarus and let him die, it was a setup. It was to teach the disciples faith. Jesus would have done his disciples no favor to heal Lazarus, but instead he created the possibility of faith. Listen, if you are not given the possibility of faith, you'll never be saved. You'll never know how real God is. But now, having been saved, and you know you're going to go to heaven, it's only a matter of time, listen to me, you hit a wall. And the same God who was so real yesterday now seems like an enemy. You say, Lord, where are you? Don't be like most who say, I'm out of here. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Be like those in Hebrews chapter 11. Be like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, Habakkuk had wanted an immediate explanation, but instead he broke the betrayal barrier. This is when you feel that God has betrayed you. And so to you who are in your deepest trial right now, if we knew who you were, and suppose you're not only the one who suffered more than anybody else in this auditorium, what if it could be proved that you have suffered more than any human being in London. And you're the one. You've suffered more than anybody else. The angels have a word for you. Do you know what it is? Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, don't insult me. Oh, you don't realize. It's a setup. You've been given the possibility of faith. You've got an invitation. It's a greater invitation than getting to meet the queen. It's a greater invitation than being made an, a knight. It's an invitation to break the betrayal barrier. The best thing that could ever happen to you. Well, you know the most frequently asked question that I got when I was pastor at Westminster Chapel as some of you will know, I was there exactly 25 years. And uh, I get questions. 
If you were to guess what was the number, question, number one question I got, what do you think it was? Do you think it was a profound theological question? Westminster Chapel used to be regarded as the citadel of evangelical orthodoxy, and they would come with their deep questions. We had our Friday Bible studies, which, by the way, we're going to repeat here starting in April. Did you know this? Yeah. Starting in April, every Friday night, we're going to have School of Theology. Well, what do you suppose was the most common question I got? It wasn't, why does God allow evil? It wasn't, what happens to the heathen that never hear the gospel? It was, this is number one, Dr. Kendall, why can't I get married? <laughs> That's number one. That's the first night. Yeah. Week after week. I didn't go a Sunday without somebody. One Sunday night, young lady came in. said, Dr. Kendall, would you pray that I will find a husband? I did. The next person in was a man who said, Dr. Kendall, would you pray... <laughs> that I will find a wife. I said, stay right here. I've got somebody. <laughs> I look over those 25 years in London and not just those 25 years. And I've thought about this a lot. I've been preaching for 60 years now. 60. The most Difficult case I ever had. I couldn't tell you that number two or number three, number one, was a German lady in her early 40s who had muscular dystrophy, thick German accent. She wasn't beautiful. She would come in week after week she would limp into the office and say, Dr. Kendall, why can't I find a husband? And I would pray, God, help me. Please help me. What can I say? And I looked at her, and I had to say, I don't know. She'd stand up, limp back out. A few months after we retired, went back to America, I got word that this same woman went back to Germany, killed herself. It's only a matter of time that we face this kind of thing. And you want to know why. God said to Habakkuk, on the last day, I'm going to explain. And you may say, well, that's, I, I want to know now. So did Habakkuk. But he broke the betrayal barrier. He did. And was able to say, 
Though the fig tree doesn't bud, there are no blossoms, no cattle, I will rejoice. But you see, not everybody can do that. And yet everybody can, but not everybody will do it. They need immediate answer. My last point before I close. It's the privilege of faith. Will you accept this? Faith is the greatest privilege ever given to a human being between birth and burial, between the cradle and the casket, between your burial, your death and your burial, between your being born and the time for you to die. The greatest privilege anyone ever gets is the privilege of faith. You won't always have that. You won't always have it. There is in this country the expression, born to privilege. What's that about? Well, those who upper class, aristocracy, royalty, born to privilege. But you know, the Apostle Paul has a word to say about that. He says, those born to privilege are not likely to be saved. That's what he says. He says 1 Corinthians 1, 26. You see your calling, brethren, not many mighty, not many noble, aristocracy. So not many of the rich are famous. Didn't say not any. Thank God for that. But he says not many. So the statistical probability if you're born to privilege, is that you won't be given the privilege of faith. But if you're ordinary, congratulations. Ordinary people, the foolish of this world, those that are not rich and famous, maybe they don't have the highest IQs, they're not the Einsteins. But if you've been given the privilege of faith, oh, be so thankful, be so thankful. You will not always have this privilege. This is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. You see, when you come to the end and God clears his name, and everybody will say, oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Quite, it's hidden from you. It's hidden from you. If, if you knew the reason, you wouldn't need faith. That's why it's a wonderful thing if you have the privilege of believing without seeing. Here's, here's the scary thing. One day everybody will see. But it won't be faith then. There's a verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. You could call it a summary of the entire book. John said, Behold, he comes with clouds. Every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him. And listen to this. The kindreds of the earth, the whole of the population of anybody ever born, the kindreds of the earth shall wail. W-A-I-L. Wail because of him. Have you ever thought about that word wail? 
You've heard people cry. You've heard them sob. Have you ever heard the sound of a wail? You'll never forget it. I only heard it once. Once. Fifteen years old. A lady in our church just got word that her only son, not saved, as far as we know, was killed in the Korean War. And we went to go comfort her. We parked two blocks away. So many others had the same idea. We could hear her wailing outside as we walked two blocks away. You could hear her. When we went in to see her, she never even knew we were there. She was so lost in grief. Some two or three years ago, there was that shooting in Connecticut. You may remember, a mad man took a gun, killed 26 children, ages six, seven years old, just killed them. The pastor nearest to that spot was a friend of mine. His name is Clive Calver. He was actually in our first service today. He's over here because his mother-in-law died, and, that's, and he kindly came to hear me preach this morning. Clive's wife, being the pastor's wife, was allowed to be in a special spot when the word got out about 26 kids being killed. It was next door to a fire station. They took all the fire engines out and left the fire station vacant so that the parents rushing to the school to find out whether their child was alive or dead, and they were told to go into the fire station and wait the news. And Ruth Calver, pastor's wife, was allowed to go in to be with the parents as they were anxious, filled with fear, wondering, is my child alive or dead? And a man would come in and say, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, are you here? Yeah. Here's your son, Daniel. He's fine. You can go home. Oh, it was a wonderful moment. They were rejoicing. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you're worried about Mary Ann. Here she is. She's fine. You can go home. But the dozens of other parents, they waited and waited and after 45 minutes, it began to sink in on them that their child was killed and they'd never see their child again. And Ruth Calver said, I will never forget the sound. I never want to hear it again. The wails that went up in that room. That's what you will do if you can't wait to the last day to get your question answered, you will see him, and you're going to say, oh, I believe, I believe now. Oh, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I believe now. Sorry, it's not faith now. And you talk about wailing, you will wail. You won't think about your dignity. You will wail. This is the end. What a sound. This is why I'm saying to you, now is the day of salvation. It's the privilege of faith. Take it with both hands and say, thank you, Lord. I'm still alive. I heard the gospel. So what did you say 
20 minutes ago when I said, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And what was your answer if you stood before God and said to you, why should I let you in? What would be your answer? What, you know what you thought. You know what you said. Did you say, well, I've tried to live a good life. I've done my best. I go to church. I'm good to people. I think I would get in. I'm sorry, but you are lost. You would not get in. You would go to hell. But today's the day of salvation. And if what I've said makes sense to you, I can give you a prayer to pray. It can change your destiny right now. I'll give you a prayer. If you can say this from your heart, say it now, not out loud. But as I give you the words, repeat it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I am sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.